All right, everyone, we'll make a start, uh, probably a few minutes late. Um, before we do, can I just ask as many of you to come to the front as possible? It's a, it's a massive room, and there's plenty of chairs up the front, if you could, if you could move to the front. Um, so first of all, to introduce myself, my name's uh, Jeff Warner, and I'm from Australian Super. Um, and I know Jeff, I've known Jeff Humphreys for many years. Uh, recently, in the time I've been at Australian Super, he's helped, helped our fund out with... Uh, with our insurance pricing and has certainly helped us to think differently about, about the models that we use. Um, I'm told with the, um, the notes here that I'm supposed to say to the presenter, when you're doing your presentation, please ask the audience, uh, you have to think about why you're thinking differently. Now with Jeff Humphreys, you don't have to do that because Jeff always makes us think differently. So I'm going to turn it around the other way and say to the audience, please ask Jeff questions that's, that show how you're thinking differently about insurance. Now the session will run for 50 minutes. I'm sure you know from concurrent one, there'll be a bell go with five minutes, uh, five minutes to go. So we'll probably have uh, a couple of questions and then wrap it up as we do have to move on to the next concurrent pretty quickly. I'm also going to remind you just to make sure that you uh, fill in the, the, the survey on your app when the session is finished. And, and with questions, um, I'll ask you, I don't know, is there a microphone set up? I can't, there's a microphone over there, one at the back. We're, we can see it, and there's a microphone over here. So please come up to the microphone, state your name and company clearly and ask your question. Right, on to the speaker, Mr. Jeff Humphreys. Jeff has been practicing as an actor in the superannuation industry for over 25 years. Over this period, he has been heavily involved in the group risk market, providing design and pricing advice to trustees, employers and life officers, both as an employed, employed actuary and since 1996 with his own firm as a consulting actuary. Jeff has been particularly involved in the industry fund sector since the inception of the industry in the 1980s. He is a member of the Institute's Superannuation Practice Committee, working groups on climate change, conflict of interest and retirement incomes. For his sins, he was a member of the Superannuation Complaints Tribunal for six years. And that's what he sent me to read out. This is what I'm going to add. He's a beekeeper. He's a hockey player. He's a former rugby union player. Can't play anymore due to injury. So he's used to dealing with risk management I'd also written down veteran. <laughs> he expects challenges to this paper. And I'm sure a lot of you have been to Insights where Jeff's presented and he wouldn't have it any other way. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Jeff uh, and he'll take you through his presentation. Jeff. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Um, and uh, thank, thank you to the Institute for what, what, what is a great theme for our, our conference, which is thinking differently, because it um, fits in very nicely to a few thoughts I had at the time uh, that I saw the, the uh, request for papers. So there is a paper behind this presentation, and, and really my presentation is pulling out parts of that paper that, that I think are, are interesting or relevant and might, and might uh, foster some discussion. Um, the, the paper's focused on the customer, and the customer in this case for group, group superannuation uh, insurance is the trustee representing the member. Uh, it's also focused on the large not-for-profit funds, and that's probably because they, they represent most of the premium that's up for grabs at the moment. 
the large for-profit funds or, or, or will very so- shortly be insuring with a uh, related insurer. So not, not really premium up for grabs here, perhaps some reinsurance premium up for grabs, but not really insurance premium up for grabs. So concentrating on the large not-for-profit funds, what we would call traditionally the industry funds. And, and I use the word large to represent the funds that are rated on their own experience as, as, a, de- as a good definition of large. And, and we probably know which ones those are. So thinking differently, is there a problem? Thinking differently, uh, what are the alternatives to our current structure? Is there a problem? I, I look at seven different areas. I've pulled them out of the paper just, just to uh, set the scene as, as I see the world. And alternative structures look at different ways of doing claims management. Alternative structures using uh, current industry sort of structures and alternatives using um, new structures. So is there a problem? So the current structure, it, it does actually provide substantial benefits back into the community. $5.3 billion, if I've pulled that out correctly from the APRA stats in payments, gross in 2016 to superannuation funds. Um, and to me, their, their payments made predominantly to members who are in effect retiring from the workforce. Uh, they've been hit with an unexpected event. They have low financial wealth, net wealth relative to retirees. They, they are highly likely to have financial dependence. And there's a poor safety net, particularly on, on death of a spouse. There's a poor safety net environment in Australia. So these people, to me, are, are a form of retirement and what, what I call involuntary retirement as opposed to retirement where you voluntarily leave at some age of pretty well your own choosing. On the insured side, the typical structure we have at the moment is a single insurer insuring all of the claims cost, possibly supported by a single reinsurer. And and with very few exceptions, that's, that's the structure. The claims are determined by the insurer. There's some oversight from the trustee, but... With a few notable exceptions, typically the trustee leaves it to the insurer other than perhaps on the decline claims where they set up a committee to have a look at those. But no other oversight on on how the claims process is performed or the experience of the member. And that's what I'm defining as the current current structure. Is there a problem? So one, one of the key tests to whether a market is working is the stable, efficient, competitive test. Um... And so let's have a little look at uh, how that's been going. And, and it's, it's not particularly pretty. This, this is from the insurer's point of view. Stability started off in the early or 2009. We had 10. We had very nice profit levels and slowly slid into the abyss of 2013 and then has rebounded very, very strongly since. So the left-hand graph here, these are graphs come out of the, um, the paper left-hand graph is able to split between reinsurers and, and insurers. Clearly, insurers got, uh, the reinsurers got, got uh, hurt more by, by 2013 and recovered more. Um, now it's unfortunate the APRA stats, I don't think you can actually pick up those numbers. You have to rely on APRA to publish them separately to their stats, which is, to me is a real shame because we as, as consumers and as a community can't understand how the industry is performing from the consumer's point of view. We can see how the accedents are, are performing, which is my, my uh, right-hand graph there, on their gross profit 
but we can't see how the whole, the whole picture looks. From the members' point of view, I've just put, picked out the experience of some members. So Sun Super has over a million lives insured. In 2011, their, their, their premium was set reasonably low. It jumped 146% three years later. And then two years after that, it fell 30%. That's their TPD premium. So that, that's not a good experience, if, if you're a member. And here's another fund, same sort of picture. They uh, had a 172% increase in their premium and decided that that was too much and they halved the amount of benefit they'd pay, just cut everybody's TPD benefit in half who had default cover, which was just about everybody. But not only that, they took, of that half, they took 20% and said that's going to be an ADL definition, which is next to useless. So the trustee here had to apply the inappropriate erosion test to the amount of premium that the, the insurer wanted. Again, a really bad outcome for, for the members of, of that super fund. So I think on stability, not, not a lot there to go on. And what, just, just to finish off on stability, what we're seeing is a lot of those funds that had the big premium increases recently are having big decreases. And we're going to see some big decreases come through the market. Now, not because we've got a cycle, but because we're unwinding an, an exaggerated premium from the past. The next test is efficiency, um, market efficiency, and a thing I've, I've put in the paper called benefit efficiency. So market efficiency first, this is the economic definition, many willing buyers, many willing sellers, reasonably discoverable long-term price, and no few barriers to entry. So we still have a reasonable number of buyers, but that, that number is actually falling. And it's falling because of consolidation, and it can only ever fall. We have very, very few sellers, and we have an insurance market that is really an oligopoly in, in an economic sense. And, and that's not going to change. On the other hand, the reinsurers, there's a lot of reinsurers now. A few years ago, there were none. No reinsurer wanted to touch group insurance, and now there's about seven. So that, that reflects part of the instability. But, but at least on the reinsurance side at the moment, there is, there is a reasonable number of willing sellers. The discoverable price is improving, and that's because of data quality. But at, at every point, the incumbent insurer will always have a, a better understanding of the client than the, the uh, competing insurers. And that might be normal in markets, but still it's very hard to discover the, lo the long-term price. And in my paper, I look at barriers. I've listed eight of them. They include stamp duty barriers. The cost of participating in a tender is prohibitive. The cost of setting up a life office is prohibitive. There's a lot of barriers to entry in, in, in our industry. So from an economic point of view, the market's not efficient, and it's not likely to be efficient in its current form. Benefit efficiency is something I've pulled out of the financial system inquiry. Uh, they, they talk about... Um, income efficiency in relation to retirement incomes. So how much money going into a pool comes out as benefits for those members. Because the only reason we go into a pool is to share the risk. It's the only reason we go into a pool. Whether it's an insurance pool or some other pool, that's why. So the FSI came up with a leakage concept. So how much goes out in um, capital costs, expenses and taxes. And I've extended that to the concept of a... Um, of our death and disability cover 
and just call it benefit efficiency. So when you look at the APRA numbers for insurers, you can calculate it. As I said, for the industry as a whole, you can't. But 73% is how much of the benefit comes, is returned from the premium. We, we can add something because reinsurers have a, a uh, higher benefit efficiency than that, not because they're more efficient, but because they don't pay stamp duty and they don't have to do the claims administration and other, other functions. But we can also subtract from it because a lot of funds take a margin for their own insurance, what they call insurance expenses. So 73% probably isn't a bad number with a, with a plus and a minus here. But that, that 73% to me appear, appears low. Everyone can form their own view on that. Um, but I think it's low. And one industry we can directly compare it to is the health, health insurers who can achieve 84% on, on what is primarily um, retail business with very small claims. Again, the APRA stats show us where the operational expenses are sitting, and they're sitting at 20%. They're sitting at 20% regardless of the fact that the premium has gone up every single year and gone up dramatically, year after year after year. And yet, all we can do is 20% operational expenses. So that, that points to me there's no economies of scale evidence in our current, evident in our, our current structure. Life and super, which is what we've combined here, uh, are compliance-dominated industries with very high cost bases. And, and those, those, those costs just keep coming. There's no, there's no let-up in compliance cost. So I think on the stable, efficient, competitive criteria, we, we, we don't really get a pass. It's pretty poor. When you look at it objectively, um, it's not good. It hasn't been good for a number of years. The industry is still going through a crisis now of the, the inappropriate erosion, the fact that the media and the uh, politicians have got hold of a few incidents and turned them into issues, and we're running around trying to do something about those issues rather than look at the basic structure of the industry and is it, is it efficient to deliver the benefits or do we just have to cut, cut people's benefits in order to cut their premium, which would be a very bad outcome. So I guess my... Uh, proposition is that we, we, we do need to, to have a change, change of thinking in the structures. There's a few, few other things I, I'd, I've dragged out of the paper and I'll just go through them very quickly. The mismatch risk, trustees make long-term commitments under legislation and to their members to provide death and disability cover, but currently they're forced to cover those commitments using a structure that only offers short-term guarantees. Barriers to change where trustees can't, can't move easily and only short-term relationships. For example, in 2013 to 15, where insurers, reinsurers could pull out of the market unexpectedly and without any consequences for them. And some, some insurers still have a thing called retrospective pricing stuck in their contracts. That, that's not a sign of a partnership, particularly not a long-term partnership. So that's a mismatch risk, and it's only a risk. Trustees carry that risk. They, don't have, they shouldn't have to carry that risk, uh, but they do. The next concept I've pulled out is the concept of what is the real risk premium. So insurance, there's a definition of insurance there in the first, first point. Risk transfer mechanism that ensures full or partial financial compensation for the loss or damage caused by event or events 
beyond the control of the insured party. So that's a risk transfer mechanism. That's the really important part of insurance. The insured party for a group insurance policy is the uh, trustee in this case. It's not the member. The policy owner is the trustee. For large funds, the risk transfer premium is actually only about 5 to 15% of the current premium. And the balance of the traditional risk premium is just recycled as claims and rebates. So we have a lot of premium that is simply recycled. And what's wrong with recycling? Well, it's not frictionless. Each party that handles the money takes a clip. And we know that. We pay stamp duty on the recycled premium, or these claims. And it's really easy to hide inefficiency in a big number compared to hiding it in a small number. So re recycled money is a bad place to be. And, and there's a lovely saying, you should only insure what you cannot afford to replace. Another proposition in my paper, large funds are self-insured. Self-insurance occurs when the consumer meets the cost of their own claims. Now, what we know for these large funds is that their claims today are their premiums tomorrow, <clears throat> particularly in the medium term, but I'd argue also in the short term, particularly with the, the barriers preventing an insurer to move on. So there is the opportunity for clawback, whether that's willing, willingly by the trustee or, or not. In recent experience, we saw the 2013 abyss, as I called it, correct itself within a year. That, that's the sign of, of an industry that can claw back. And, and in there is a risk for the um, trustee if they're self-insured and they're not in control of their claims process because insurers are able to, to build trends into their future pricing. So there's a, lot, there's a, a, a lack of alignment of who's paying for the claims ultimately, which is the trustee, versus who's actually doing the assessing. And if that assessing, and, and this is only a risk, I'm not saying it happens, but if that assessing isn't as good as it could be, that claims management isn't as good as it could be, the insurer can simply pass that on through the, the trend process that has developed into actuarial thinking. So I'd argue large funds are effectively self-insured, perhaps with some short-term stop-loss already. That's, that's, that's the nature of the large funds. Who can provide the services of a, a life policy? So the services of the life policy primarily are the uh, capital, the claims management, services to trustees and services to members. I think, I think trustees will in the future start to sit down and say, how can I optimise those services? They're all, they're all necessary to have. And, and there's a few others listed in the uh, paper. And it won't be the same for every trustee because there are different points. What we know is, though, that those services can be provided, all of them, by super funds who have traditionally a lot of them self-insured and some who can still self-insure because they have defined benefit um, self-insurance arrangements. So there's no reason why they can't be um, insured by the fund. This was Q-Insure's... Q um, assessment of its criteria for the, um, its, insurance, its decision to set up QSIPA's criteria. Um, that, that's in the paper. You can have a look at that. 
what do other industries do? The general insurance industry ha has a lot, a lot more uh, willing sellers, so it has a lot more market efficiency. It has multiple insurers on a single policy, so it spreads the risk much more effectively than the life, life industry and allows self-insurance for statutory uh, death and disability benefits in the form of workers' comp. And it does that for companies, even low-grade companies. And the reg regulators in the state governments and, and the community clearly feels that this is an appropriate form of insurance. It's under actuarial management, but it's appropriate. They're, they're insuring the same benefits effectively as income protection and death that we're, we're, we're insuring in super. On the health insurance side, we have higher benefit efficiency and, again, we have more market, market efficiency. And, again, we have self-insurance of, of the mutual funds. There, there is a large mutual sector, and I belong to a mutual fund, and I pay a lot lower premiums for whatever reason than, than the for-profit funds. I think I, I hinted a bit at the claims management side, the um, trustee's role there is to optimise the, the service or member experience and the culture, the cultural fit, the return to work strategies, um, particularly on, on the claims side, the, the life industry is bogged down in not being able to deliver good return to work outcomes. I mean, things, things improve, but it's... The last Swiss Re Rehabilitation Watch said 123 days for a claim to end up the first touch by a rehabilitation, internal rehabilitation consultant. 123 days, so that's four months. That's far, far too long. And the self-insured the self funds get to it far, far quicker than that. Um, I think it's important for the trustees on the claims management side to make sure there's an alignment of financial interest. That, that the insurer, if the insurer is doing the claims management and spending money on claims management but has no interest really in the ultimate uh, claims because they'll just be reflected in premium, uh, that's a bad place for a trustee to end up. So let's look at some of the alternative structures. So my structures are really already here. Uh, they're just not evenly distributed, as it says. Um, and I've, I've collated them. There's, there's about nine. Uh, and I've broken them up between, um, as I said before, structures that uh, really just work on what's already there, but other structures that are, uh, would be brand new. Um, and I've suggested in my paper, we, sh we still need to judge these structures. They just can't be anything. They still have to be financially sound. So I've used the APRA benchmark and, and my interpretation of that is the structure ensures financial promises are met in all reasonable circumstances. So that, that's the APRA mission statement, and, and that seems to me to be a reasonable place to start. It's, it's uh, certainly independent of, of where, where I would start, but it's a good place. So we, we, can, we can say I think all these structures meet that test. Alternative structures, improved delivery of benefits can come from reduced risks, reduce volatility, increasing efficiency, improve member experience. Uh, this is a list of the, the structures in my paper. Multiple reinsurers. So the trustee, um, with, with the blessing of the insurer, I'd say, would, would, would appoint the reinsurers to the fund 
And the beauty of having multiple reinsurers is you spread the risk because there is an element of, um, I won't call it greed, but of it's all mine, it's all mine amongst insurers and reinsurers for that matter. And there's a lack of sharing of risk and that's bad for trustees. Too much, too much of an insurer's book dependent on your uh, experience is a bad place for a trustee to be. So they need to spread, spread the risk and maybe the trustees have to lead that a bit. The other beauty of that is the market understands your uh, intricacies and your data a lot better than currently where there's only one reinsurer and only one insurer that really understand how the fund's experience is working and they're probably looking at that experience every month or every quarter. So a lot of advantages there for the, uh, for the, the trustee. Premium adjustment models are what we call rebates. They, they can work both ways. The, the trustee can promise to pay an additional premium. Uh, alternatively, the um, insurer promises to pay back some premium if the experience is good. So if the experience goes bad to a, to a limit, of course, the, the trustee will, will kick in. Agreed margin models... Uh, where the trustee and the, um, and the insurer agree what, what margin the, the, the insurer should, should take and that takes a lot of angst out of the negotiation and means we can concentrate on the claims experience and what it might look like in the future. It also means there's a lot of trust in the relationship because there's a lot of transparency in that process. So how is that margin broken up? Once you can agree how it's going to be calculated in the future using some formula, you can... Um, move forward, as I say, on the um, claims management side or claims predictive side. Stop loss cover. Um, I, think, I think this gets down to the core of, of some of the arguments in the paper that a lot of the, the, the premium is recycled premium. So if you take that recycling out, you're going to get a better benefit efficiency and better benefits for members, lower premiums or better benefits. Separate statutory fund, that's about, if, you, if you're a very large fund, you could have your, uh, the whole of your policy in one separate statutory fund to quarantine its experience, to help capitalise that, that fund. The trustee could help capitalise that fund based on its own investment criteria. Um, it also segregates the experience and it means you can do things differently to the standard. Uh, number six is the life licence. This is the concept that you go and set up a life office in order to self-insure or keep self-insuring. Uh, <clears throat> and we know that uh, QSuper went down that route uh, last year and I believe uh, quite successfully. Other alternatives that are outside current structures, derivatives. Uh, Paul Caputo did a paper on derivatives uh, two years ago at, a, at the summit and that's, that's worth looking at. Uh, or he did a presentation at least, how, how derivatives might be used to, to a large extent really testing the market and replace, not replacing but supplementing the reinsurance proposition because you've got wider access to capital. It probably assumes that you can get a, a group of investors who are interested in doing this longer term rather than short term. And then there's self-insurance and that's, that's reasonably self-evident. Pooling, pooling is a concept I put in because, again, the financial system inquiry came up with a concept of group self-annuitisation, where groups of people can pool longevity risk and investment risk 
and, and share that risk. And th- these pools would have no, no guarantees. And because they have no guarantees, they have no capital requirement and no requirement to have a life insurer. And, and the um, financial system inquiry thought that was a, a, a product, if you like to call it a product, worth exploring. And now we have legislation coming out to put that in place. So if you can, if you can pool longevity risk, you can pool, can pool mortality risk, uh, the risk of dying as opposed to the risk of living. You can also pool morbidity risk. Uh, and my paper just explores how you might go about doing that, how you might uh, set up the premium, what you do with surpluses, how you cope with deficiencies, how you communicate with with members. And the last part of the paper sets up a matrix that a, a trustee might, might use with some attributes. Most of these I've talked about. Um, and I, in my paper I've just rated it very simply. One, two or three. Three's not so good. One's a gold. Two's a silver. Three's a bronze. And um, looked at the different, different structures and judge them against the current structure. So if you like, the current structure, to my way of thinking, doesn't do very well on these attributes other than simplicity. It scores big on simplicity because the trustee just hands over a premium and pretty well can forget about it. And, and for some trustees, uh, that might be the appropriate thing to do. They, they don't see this as a core benefit. That, that's fine. They're, they're, they don't think their membership sees it as a core benefit. Fine. But then they, they carry all these other inefficiencies or, or risks and what I've done in the paper is simply um, added each, each of those columns just to the current because of course some of these columns you can combine there's some fairly obvious combinations uh, so you get improvements through multiple reinsurers I won't go through all these we, perhaps um, as Jeff said I'm pretty keen for people to, to have their say on some of the, the ideas and concepts here um, I've gone through and rated them and then done the same with the derivatives and the, and the pooling self-insurance and coming up with um, the total matrix um, well, one thing I would say is I think the, um, our structures should be uh, that, that the, the, the regulators should see the structures as provided they meet the, the basic criteria of, of meeting benefits uh, in reasonable circumstances, then um, regulators should be neutral on which, which structure the trustee chooses. And then they should uh, prudentially manage those structures. They, they shouldn't be dictating to the industry or to the community which structures are appropriate. But unfortunately, we have it the other way around at the moment. Or a large number of these structures here are uh, uh, not really allowed or the barriers have been imposed so, so significantly that it's not really in the trustee's interest to spend time and money setting them up. Okay, that's me done, Jeff. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff. It's a really thought-provoking paper. I'd encourage you all to read it. I've, I've gone through it cover to cover and there's, um, there's a lot of good concepts and the... And the, the the uh, methodology behind the scoring too is all is all set out in, in Jeff's paper. Um, we'll take questions now. Jeff is going to stand up because he has a dodgy back, and I'm going to sit down because I've got dodgy knees. Um, if anyone's got a question, 
Can I go to a microphone now? Do we have any takers? Yep, we have one. It's uh, Adrian Fortescue from CISRE. Um, Jeff, I was just wondering, I guess, two things. One, just a... Um, I'll, I'll start with the first one. I was just going to say, what do you think the appetite is from funds to do the self-insurance? Um, I, think, I think to some extent they're, they're looking at how QSuper goes with, with, with the chunky way that it's been forced to, to basically do what it always did, which was self-insurance. H- having said that, I'd say uh, that... Uh, QSuper might think that certainly in that process a lot of value was added by having to think through more, more um, formally how, how you actually uh, do your insurance. So there were some advantages, but there's no reason why you couldn't do self-insurance as long as you spent the time doing it properly, setting that up. I, I don't think at the moment any of them particularly have an appetite. Um, I think if things keep going poorly for the industry, like we have... Um, politicians all over it, we have the, uh, the media all over it, and fairly or unfairly they're there, um, then they might start thinking, what else can we do? I, I mean, I know one of, the, one of the journalists seems to think that Q-Insure is the answer, but I don't know that that's necessarily quite right. She, she's, she's said that because she, I think she's frustrated with what's there, what's in front of her. So I think if, if um, we were to have yet another crisis, we, we would have a move away, certainly away from by the trustees to say, well, we, we need to do something differently. Uh, we can see that in some of the premium adjustment models. A lot of the funds are carrying, are carrying capital effectively to cover their insurance risk already um, under those premium adjustment models. So there is some move away from um, current structures. But, yeah, you'd, ha- you'd have to say this, th- these ideas aren't, aren't going to happen tomorrow. Uh, possibly... Um, None of the ones over on the right-hand side. But that's, that's not the point of thinking differently. <laughs> I guess the only other comment I was going to make, and I think you've sort of addressed it, is just the idea of um, does this improve media scrutiny or what, what, what structure do you think? Are, are these structures, are all of them going to improve media scrutiny of the... Um, I, I think if we do things better, then the, me- the media will, will be praising us. Not, not, not caning us. Um, and I think these structures allow trustees to do things better. They, they, well, th- let's take the life licence, for example. The, the, the Q super culture must come through their insurer. There's a long-term partnership, obviously, if you own, if you own that insurer. So that's, that, to me, has got to work better than an insurer who's, who's set up legitimately for, to make profit. That's their, their reason for existing. And they're looking after a trustee whose only reason for existence is to look after its membership. Right, two, two totally different um, cultures. They, we try to blend them. We try the best we can to blend them. But are they really blendable? That's the question. Uh, or should, should the trustees really be saying, no, this isn't going to work? And may, maybe they need a 10-year you know, time frame to, to change. I don't know. I think, I think there's still a lot of work for insurers and reinsurers in any of these structures. There's certainly a lot of work for actuaries. Thanks. We have another one. Um, Nebula Fabrizio, FICAX Consulting. Um, Thanks for saying, Jeff. I've got a couple of points there. One is your question you about multiple reinsurers. Having been a reinsurer and doing some work on the other side of the fence now, 
I can tell you most insurers find absolute pain to deal with multiple reinsurers. And I think your super funds would also find it because you then have to deal with multiple people who have different ideas about product um, and also with respect to pricing and repricing. And it probably more than doubles the amount of effort and overheads involved in the whole process. So I actually think having multiple reinsurers is very inefficient from a trustee's and insurer's point of view. And as far as uh, market failure risk point of view, I'd say the direct insurers are usually keeping 50% of the risk and it's not the reinsurer you should be worrying about, it's probably the direct insurer more likely you should be worrying about the risk on it. Um, one of the other things, is, as I said, you said that APRA has a view about what is self-insurance and what isn't self-insurance and I know for the last few years there's been a big debate going on about profit shares. I don't know if you want to make any comments around there but you know, every now and then you hear these murmurs that APRA says, well, profit shares, whether they're loss shares or stop-loss arrangements or whatever you want to call them, um, effectively are self-insurance and I wouldn't be too surprised some, some point down the track um, it may be very difficult for the insurers to keep offering those type of products. Yeah, well, that, that, that would be wrong if uh, APRA took that view. Uh, I mean, I, I have an excess on my car policy. How a trustee with you know, $30 billion or $100 billion can't have an excess on its risk policy just beyond me. Uh, I was talking to the chairman of one of the life officers the other day, just um, bumped into him in a coffee shop, and he said exactly the same thing. He cannot understand why APRA has a hang-up about self-insurance for these large, these large institutions that clearly have the resources and the ability, that if they need, they, the actuarial, the systems, the claims management, they can all, all do those things. It's a matter of managing it properly. It doesn't, it doesn't sit uniquely with a life office. Um, and, of course, with appropriate reinsurance, as I say, appropriate actuarial management. Um, on, on the rebate side, well, well I, I can't say how possibly the rebate is self-insurance. Um, that, that's a return of profits. Um, if you're paying out something extra, then as long as you've got the money to pay it out, then it's, it's also not self-insurance. Uh, self-insurance is is really only if you um, didn't have the money to pay back to the insurer. But, but my argument is that the big funds anyway are, are pretty well self-insured as they stand. They're, they're paying for their claims experience. They're not just paying immediately, but they're paying in the future. And they've got long-term commitments to meet. If they just pulled out of the market the way the insurers pulled out, uh, they, they would be absolutely hammered. And what was, Eddie, what was your first question. Oh, multiple reinsurance, yes. Well, that, that's an interesting one. What, what I've found is, is as long as the relationships are good, you'll come up with a better price by having more people at the table. It's, it's like that diversity argument we had the other day. I, I have one client where I sit down, there's the reinsurance actuaries, the insurance actuaries, the funds actuaries and myself. And we look at pricing collaboratively, compare our results, compare our models and I think we come up with uh, exceptionally good outcomes out of that because we all pick up things that are different. We all have the same uh, objective and that that's, in this case is to create some sustainable pricing uh, that's still fair, still fair in the context. So I think if you work it properly, you, you would get a good, a good outcome out of having another reinsurer.
even though there's only two reinsurers and an insurer, maybe a third each. But you, you need the, the trustees have a, a um, they run a terrible risk that if the reinsurer pulls out, that's the end, end of their market because no other reinsurer will come in not knowing what's going on and the insurer's left stranded and might be able to get reinsurance support. And most, most boards of insurers will insist on having reinsurance support. So the trustees are very, very vulnerable and they need, they need to take that risk off, off the table, in my opinion. And, and that's one way of doing it. Thank you. We have another one. Well, ah, keep doing this at these sessions. They're not tailored to so, little. Um, Jan here, um, offshore reinsurer, not actively soliciting business. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> just Noted. Um, on, on the multiple reinsurers, uh, uh, Jeff is okay, I'd, I'd like to just build a little bit on what you've just said, you know, and, and I'd like to sort of um, come back to a little bit of what I heard in the morning is that, you know, two heads, you know, which, which two heads should come together, right? Um, let's call it reinsurer A, lots of opinions, full service model, reinsurer B, B, just as big, lots of opinions, that don't put them two together, they're going to butt, right? Um, Hypothetically, there are other reinsurers that are more about, well, I trust first, you know, low service model. I call it service efficiency. There's different things here. And, you know, you, you don't have to see us. So as long as we maintain our rating, ensure that uh, you are compliant, that you are able to meet the very basic things that a reinsurer needs to do, which is, you know, uh, collect premiums and pay claims on time. Um, there are reinsurers out there, I assure you, and we've been around in the GI market, and those reinsurers do exist. So it's just you know, food for thought there, that's all. Yeah. That's a good point. It's a good point. I, I tend to be more optimistic about people getting into a room. If they've got the same objective, then um, they'll do better as a group than as a single person trying to, trying to price. But nevertheless, there, there, there could be reinsurers who just want to follow and, and they'd be legitimate if they're taking a small risk and it met their risk appetite. That's, that's good. Yeah, we, Adam. Uh, th thanks, Jeff. Ad Adam Fusca from Challenger here. Um, yeah, and I thought you said you weren't going to be promoting business. <laughs> I said GI. <laughs> um, Jeff, I, I read through your paper last night. Firstly, can I say well done? Um, it's not very often that you see 40-page um, papers at these events anymore. So well done for putting all that time into it. Uh, you certainly challenged my thinking. There was a lots of it, lot of interesting ideas in there. A lot of them I didn't agree with, but there were some in there that I certainly agreed to. Uh, you know, I think around efficiency uh, within the market, there's certainly a lot of areas that we can improve on. Uh, I've seen, as you have, a lot of insurers that have grown a lot, but the expense margins are exactly the same. A lot of it is due to you know, the variable costs and around managing claims, but I think that's because a lot of the claims models are not very efficient either, and I think we'll see improvements in regards to that. Um, I, I guess my question to you is, outside of those alternative structures, what do you believe insurers need to do to move some of those threes around the, you know, you've got your, your current um, scores, what, what do you think insurers should be doing to, to move those to twos and ones without uh, moving down some of those uh, structures? That's a, that's a great, great question, Adam, because I, hadn't, I, I just abandoned the current structure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but certainly, I, I mean, I, I guess if I, if, if I was looking at it from an insurer's point of view, I'd, 
I'll be trying to minimise, for example, the mismatch risk. How do I, I minimise that? Well, first thing I do is take out any retrospective pricing rights. If I can't understand that the trustee's data enough to price it, I, I, sh I probably shouldn't be um, quoting on it. So I should be able to agree that the price I've come up with I, I will hold. Um, and in a true partnership, if there was a, a genuine problem with data, then the trustee would and the insurer would work that out together. Um, so I think you'd want to work on the mismatch risk. On the benefit of efficiency, I mean, just recycling money is fundamentally going to be inefficient because of stamp duty, if nothing else. Um, but something you can do on benefit efficiency is um, you, you can introduce um, agreed margins. So at least the trustee feels comfortable that what you, what you are um, charging doesn't hide some inefficiency. And they can hand on heart go to their, their membership and say, yeah, yeah this, is, this is a good, good proposition from, from the insurer we've, we've appointed. Um, I, I, think, I think the other things are just fundamentally inherent in the current structure. So the, the, the barriers are inherent in the structure. The culture of life insurers not sharing risk is inherent. Uh, why, why general insurers will share risk but life insurers won't, is, is, I've never understood. I've worked in both industries. Um, so I certainly don't, don't understand why, why that structure, but if, if they could work out how they could work with other insurers, that would be very useful. I know it's been tried and, and it hasn't been very successful. Jeff, I'm going to ask a quick question because I think it leads on to what, what Adam was saying. Um, why have you focused the paper on the customer and not the insurer? And what do you actually mean by the customer? Trustee or member or both? Uh, ultimately, the customer is, is the member. So in this case, the trustee is acting on behalf of the member, putting in place benefits that, that are um, insured. Um, I think if you want to look at how to do things better, you've got to start with the customer. You can't start with the institution. I mean, institutions are there to help the community. We're not there to help the institutions. So you have to start with the customer and then work out what institutions and what structures best serve the community. So if, if the current structures don't best serve, what structures do? And, and that's the place to start. You certainly can't start with, with an institution. Uh, I mean, as I say, they're only there to, to serve the people, not the other way around. I'll stand. Do we have one final question? We probably have time for one final question. Uh, otherwise, um, I'll call the session to a close. Thanks for all your comments. Thanks for those who uh, thank Jeff for the time and effort he put into his paper because it is, is a, a lot of time and effort. When you, when you get to read it, there's a lot of stuff in there that's really, really good, particularly for someone who's not into insurance as much as, uh, as someone like me, for, for example. Um, okay, can we uh, thank Jeff in the time on away and with his glass of wine? <laughs>